Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to help make the world a better place, then it's time to run, or should we say drive, with the Game Changers, and this is the right place. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. We have a very interesting study here from McKenzie, and it's titled, Advanced Industries, Innovating Automotive Retail, Journey Towards a Customer-Centric multi-format sales and service network. And here's a couple of couple of statistics that might get you going. Roughly 500,000 cars are traded on eBay Motors website every year. Just let that sink in. 500,000. And more than a third of automotive customers would consider buying a car online. Okay, reality check for today's car dealers, those franchise owners, those people with the big lots filled with cars waiting for you to walk in. Here's good news. A majority of automotive retail customers up to 85% still use what we'll call dealer touch points in their car buying journey. Okay, business as usual. Not so good news. One in four customers report dissatisfaction with their experiences at car dealerships. If you're a dealer, how are you treating the people who walk in the door? Well, perhaps the writing is on the wall for franchises in the automotive sector. What does this mean? You've got to redefine your role. Things are changing, transforming. The statistics don't lie. What are you going to do? Use advanced technology to ensure efficiency throughout all of your processes, and you want ultimately positive customer experiences at every step along the way. We have a panel of three experts, really smart people who know their automotive stuff inside and out, and they're going to help us figure this out. So whether you're a car dealer, whether you're somebody in another part of automotive, whether you just own a car or you're thinking of owning a car or you just bought a car like me, well, you know what we're talking about. Let me tell you who my three panelists are and then we'll get started. First up in just a moment, I'll be very pleased to introduce Dr. Hagen Radowski, President and CEO of MHP America. America's Inc., and he'll tell us what he does in a few minutes. Joining us also, returning panelists from just a few weeks ago, Ellen Sassone, Automotive Industry Advisor at SAP, and rounding out the panel, another newcomer like Hagen, Andreas Klaschka, IBU Director for Automotive at SAP. So welcome to our esteemed panelists. Dr. Hagen Radowski has sent me an interesting quote. You probably see it all over the place, but he saw it on a sign at a casino in Las Vegas. And here's the quote, you have to be present to win. Everybody sees that somewhere, Hagen, whether it's at a bingo game, whether it's at a raffle at a garage sale, whether it's at a cake sale, you got to be present to win. Some people say you have to be in it to win it. Hagen Radowski, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Thank you, Bonnie. Good morning. How are you? I'm I'm doing great, and thanks for having me on the show. Delighted. Oh, don't you think? It's fabulous. So tell me, what we're talking about dealerships, and by the way, I have to preface this, what you're going to say next, with the title of this episode, I'm calling this Automotive Cliffhanger, The End of Dealerships. It sounds so mm-hmm. dire. How bad is it, Hagen? What's going on? Well, actually, there's a lot of things, uh, a lot of things are going on right now, but I guess what I'm referring to, and, and that applies to the dealers as well as, as us as an automotive company, as MHP being a subsidiary of Porsche, an automotive OEM, 
you know, looking at, at, at this market, um, you can't do it remotely. You, you, you got to be there to, to make a difference because at the end of the day, it's all about human interactions. And really, mm-hmm. dealers can make a difference for the brand in the way they treat the customers. But for that, you have to be present because it's about human interactions, not about technology, not about machines. It's about being there. Absolutely. I, I was so intrigued. Uh, I mentioned to you on our prep call, I've had some very interesting experiences in my car buying venture. I just, just traded in a, a car I love very much for something, a newer model, actually eight years newer. Uh, I keep my cars a long time. But the point is I had some very unsatisfactory experiences at car dealerships where you literally walk in and talk to somebody, hogging that human experience. And I had some unsatisfactory experiences using an online car, shall we say, a, a broker or, or an aggregator, shall we say. So I've, I've seen it from both sides, but we'll talk about that later. So you have to be in it to win it, have to be present to win. Uh, it's more than just having an attractive salesman or saleswoman on the showroom floor when somebody walks in, isn't it? There's got to be more than that. Absolutely. And what, what car dealers today really are focusing on, and, and I have to say this, we, we've become smarter in the way we, we educate and we steer our dealers, because at the end of the day, um, various customers demand various ways of being treated. So what we call a customer journey or part of the customer journey, mm-hmm. the dealer visit as part of the customer journey, needs to be executed properly by the dealers, and for that, there's a lot of change necessary, although in the way people at the dealerships are trained. So they know when Bonnie walks in, what Bonnie, <laughs> what the, the kind of car you have, um, you know, how many times you've been to the repair, repair shop, um, all, these, all these information that make your visit to that dealership so much more personal, because I guess mm-hmm. that's what everybody is looking for. And, you know, if you are great, hey, Bonnie, great, you've been here three weeks ago. We're glad we fixed up your car, and um, it's time for a new lease. Uh, People today with technology could be so much more educated in the way they encounter customers walking into the dealership, but you have to be ready for that. Yes, and, and I remember about four weeks ago, I walked into a very prominent dealership here, about two miles from where I live. I spent a half hour with an absolutely lovely, charismatic, well-dressed salesperson, told him exactly what I wanted, filled out a form, gave him all my information. I never heard back from him. He said he'd look for the car of my dreams. Never heard back from him, and I'm completely puzzled. He was a millennial. He looked sharp and smart, very Mm -hmm. interested. He knew I had a good Mm -hmm. trade-in. He knew I had money to spend. Never even called or emailed. So that was my recent dealership. Let's let's move on. We have so many. I know we all have stories to tell. Hagen, such a pleasure to know you, and looking forward in a few minutes when we come around to you, what's in your cup and where are you today? We'll talk a little bit about MHP Americas because I know our listeners would like to know. So Thank you. And welcoming back Ellen Sasson. She was on a show a few weeks ago with me about women in automotive. Very interesting show. And she's coming back with the same panel in a couple of months. So, Ellen, delighted to have you here. And Ellen has sent us a quote from Milan Kundera. I didn't recognize the name. I should. He's still with us, born in 1929. Czech-born French writer who went into exile in France in 1975 and became a naturalized French citizen in 81. But he was best known, is best known for his 
The Unbearable Lightness of Being. That's his best-known work. Prior to the Velvet Revolution of 89, the communist regime in Czechoslovakia banned his books. This is interesting, Alan. He lives virtually incognito and rarely speaks to the media. He's a perennial contender for the Nobel Prize in Literature, and they think he's been nominated on several occasions, but he, he never shows up. Sounds like somebody we know well who's a folk singer. So here's the quote. Business only has two functions, marketing and innovation. Ellen Sesson, welcome back. How have you been? Good, Bonnie. How are you? Very well, thank you. Talk to me about this quote. Interesting? Well, what was fascinating to me, I, you know, I was Googling innovation and just looking for ideas around innovation. And Milan Kundera, to have him have a business quote was, was interesting to me, and he's such a famous writer. But anyway, that I think that is true. I think business is really about creating new new ways of operating, and then you know, equally important, marketing that. If nobody knows about it, if it's not if it's not well executed, it doesn't fly. So I, I think he got that right. It's both things, ideas and then execution. So talk to me about how this applies to my, my hopefully very dramatic title for this episode, Ellen, the end of dealerships. Yes, no, where, are you, where do you sit on that fence or where do you sit on that car hood? Yes or no? Well, well I, I think it's retail in general and, Specifically, you know, if you can invent yourself to be some place that people want to go, and that and, and automotive dealerships obviously a little different because you have to get your car. There's a physical component to servicing a car that you know different than other retail. But you got to find a reason to make it a joyful experience for people, just like just like retailers are striving to do now. So I, I think his idea is right. Uh, dealerships, I mean, applying the quote. They have to reinvent themselves. They have to come up with new ways of attracting customers. And, and I think it's all about creativity and then execution in terms of getting the word out about what you're offering. Ellen, after oh. I signed the deal for this car I brought home on Friday, I said to the salesman, also a young guy, uh, very well-dressed, very personable, and I said, I'm giving you a check for the amount we agreed on. It's fine. But I'm not going to follow through on the deal unless you have a red ribbon for me, a red bow on that car when I come to pick it up the next day. And he just looked at me like, lady, are you serious? And I said, I want that big red bow just like they show on TV. I want that on my car. And, and I came in the next day ready to pick up the car, drove there in my trade-in. And he runs out to the parking lot and he says, I have a surprise. Oh, actually, he called me. I was 10 minutes away from the, from the dealership. And he said, Bonnie, this is James. I have a surprise for you. And I said, what is it? He said, I'm not going to tell you. And when I got there, he ran out from the door and he put this humongous red bow on the hood of the car and we posed for pictures. So, Ellen, does that come in with marketing and innovation both or where, where does that stand on the quote? Well, it was experience. He he met he gave you a great experience, even though you asked for it. He he uh, he delivered it. So I I think it's it's back to experience. What what is the experience like? That's why that's according to that McKinsey site, many people have bad experiences. That's why. And generally, I think that's about pricing and haggling and not feeling like you're getting a good deal versus the internet, which you know is more transparent. You could see what the offers are. Um, but but the real money, Bonnie, is in service. It's in servicing yep. the vehicle. That's what they need to get great at. And the pricing thing, even if that was always online, that that would be fun. Like Apple, look at the Apple consumer experience when you go. Apple stores are packed, but people come there. I, I think I think that's what dealers have to figure out. How, how do they get you coming back? And that bow made you happy, right? 
Very, 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 very happy. And I got a kick that he was willing to go the mile because when I left the day before, I said, oh, come on, James, somebody's got to have a, a little red bow. Go to a Hallmark store and buy it from the gift wrap section. For goodness sake, when I come back tomorrow, I expect a red bow. And he took me very seriously. And that, Ellen, that's what we call a delightful experience. Isn't that what everybody's supposed to deliver in business, a delightful experience? Yes? Yes. He did. Thank you very much, Ellen. Great to have you back. And now let's round out our panel with Andreas Klaschka, if anybody wants to look him up, K-L-A-S-C-H-K-A. And he has sent us a wonderful quote from a song by Janis Joplin. I got tears in my eyes when I read this, Andreas, because I remember Janis Joplin. This was from actually um, her final recording. The song is Mercedes Benz. Anybody doesn't know Janis Joplin, she lived from 1943 to 1970, an American rock singer, songwriter, one of the most successful and widely known female rock stars of her era. She died of a heroin overdose at the age of 27. Her fourth album, Pearl, was released in 1971, three months after her passing, and it reached number one on the Billboard charts. Uh, Rolling Stone ranked her number 46 on its list of 100 greatest artists of all time. She remains one of the top-selling musicians in the United States with 15.5 million albums sold. Here's the line, and I promise I'm not going to sing it, Andreas, but if you want to strum along with the guitar, it's fine. I'd like to do a song of great social and importance. It goes like this, quote, Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Andres, yeah. thank you very much. Thank you, Bonnie. So, uh, yeah, let me tell you why I chose this quote. Yeah, I mean, I could simply say I like the Janis Joplin music. Yeah, that's one thing. But on the other thing, um, I think there's a little bit more uh, behind that song and also the time when this song was recorded. You mentioned it. It was uh, the very last song that she actually recorded, and yes. it was uh, the early 70s, late 60s, mm-hmm. and uh, especially that decade, um, young people began to revolt against uh, conservative norms, and um, they also removed themselves from some kind of materialism. Um, so this counterculture um, that sparked the social revolution throughout the most Western world at that time um, in my opinion, was the first disruptive period um, in our times after World War II. So it can be so also compared to um, some disruptive trends that we have currently going on in our decade. Um, in this context, I mostly think of uh, what we call a sharing economy. And of course, sharing economy will also have an impact on dealerships. So um, what does sharing economy mean in the end? Um, everyone uses this term today, and it apparently means to a um, whole range of online goods and services that instead of buying or and owning, we can borrow, rent, or simply have access to. Sometimes it's for free. Sometimes we have a little uh, uh, price to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, likewise, we can also be the ones providing these goods or services and make a profit of it. Um, Thank you. The yep. idea implies yep. the radical change of capitalism and consumerism as we know. But as mentioned, the sharing movement was not uh, was um, something the Western world already experienced in the past. And uh, as today, sometimes consumerism is uh, seen bad for the community, bad for our society, and bad for the planet. 
So um, people already um, started to do an alternative society um, with an economy based on sharing and sharing everything. It was sharing property, tools, food, uh, other things I cannot mention here, and also sometimes a car. But stop, I would say, was it really like this? And now it comes again to Janis Joplin, um, the icon of that decade, denouncing the capitalism in her very last recorded and ironic song, she owned a car. It was not a Mercedes-Benz, but mm -hmm. it was a very unique and psychedelic Porsche 356 SC. And she enjoyed driving in a convertible on the Californian highways. We know that, and she never shared it because she had so much fun in driving it. And if I dream a little bit today, um, what would Janice sing today if she yes. would still be amongst us? Maybe she would sing, Oh Lord, won't you share me your Mercedes-Benz? So, <laughs> and finally, I would like to talk about all these, what I have mentioned as an uh, implication on the business models of car dealerships. Okay. Andreas, I, I really appreciate that. Uh, I did my homework on Janis Joplin, and you added so much flavor and color to that. I appreciate that. Uh, what she, some of our younger listeners may know the song, Me and Bobby McGee. That was one of her most popular ever, ever, ever songs. Uh, and Mercedes-Benz, of course, was an original. Thank you, Andreas. Love, lovely to have you on the show and all of you. So now we're going to get a little up close and personal with our panelists, and let's see what where they are, what they love to drink, because we know they're all powerful thinkers. So let's see what powers them. Dr. Hagen Radowski, first of all, tell us a little bit more about what MHP Americas does, what you do there, what your role is, and then where are you today? I know already, I won't tell. And what do you love to drink that powers you? Because you're a very busy guy. So what keeps you going? What drives you? Okay, Bonnie. Well, um, I am the president and CEO of MHP, which is the um, management and IT consulting subsidiary of Porsche, the um, automotive sports car maker. Mm -hmm. And um, we have about 2,400 people. Um, we have come to the U.S. about um, six years ago, and we're based in beautiful Atlanta, Georgia. And um, mm -hmm. we, one would think a subsidiary of Porsche would only do business with Porsche, but that's not the case. We're working with our friends from Daimler, from BMW, from Bosch, from Siemens, many other companies. And it's an exciting time because not only is the automotive industry being disrupted, but all the industries associated with that industry. So we're seeing a, a huge change just in general. And as we are leading the digital business transformation in automotive, we're supporting those clients in managing that paradigm shift. Um, I, like I said, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia today. And I have in front of me um, a, a cup of semi-warm coffee, but what I really like to drink is old French wine, which I do collect. And we just had a great wine tasting, Bordeaux wine tasting over the weekend with the Commanderie de Bordeaux here in Atlanta, where we usually share very old and very tasteful French wines. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Is there a special label on that bottle, the one you like the best, Hagen? Or do you have a selection? We'd love to know because I know people would like to know what your favorite wine is. Well, from that Sunday, it was a 1998 Chateau Fijac, um, which is a, a really classic Bordeaux. And 
You know, you think about old wines and why they taste so good because the food is gone, the acidity is gone. It's just secondary flavor, and it's a beautiful experience. And to share that experience makes it even more special. And again, we're back to that topic of experiences because today I strongly believe, and, 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 and you know, you can transfer that. I mean, I strongly believe to what we heard before from the uh, other two panelists um, the OEMs, and you look at Porsche, you look at Atlanta, we just, um, we, we created this beautiful Porsche Experience Center here in Atlanta and over in LA, mm-hmm. where people come to Porsche to experience and to indulge and to live the brand. And dealers are nothing more confronted than with the challenge to kind of replicate that experience in their own domain. Thank you very much, Hagen. Pleasure to have you on, as I said before. And now let's go around the table just a little bit to Ellen Sassone. Ellen, where are you today? And what do you love to drink? I don't remember what you said a couple of weeks ago, so you can say the same thing or you can surprise me with something new and I wouldn't know. Go ahead, Ellen. So I am in Southfield, Michigan, about to go into a large automotive seating supplier, which I just want to echo what, what Hagen said. You know, obviously, the entire industry is being disrupted, not just dealerships, but suppliers as well. So they feed, in a way, the experience. And I, I just want to, and then I'll tell you my drink in one second. But mm-hmm. sure. this, this, this seating manufacturer, one of their biggest challenges is the personalization of the interior, A, for consumers, and then second to that, for this autonomous vehicle world, that's going to be a totally different type of interior. But I was thinking... You know, some of the fun of shopping, and and I guess this is all part of the automotive retail experience as well, is picking things out, right, and trying on a different interior, different set of headlights. Or you know, I I think I think it's collaborative, obviously, across the industry. How creative and how good the experience can be. That's one comment. But my drink, I changed yes. it. I um, I was in Toronto a few days ago, and I had a. It was sherry and ginger. And um, I think orange juice and mint it was in a Spanish restaurant, and it was like the best drink I've had. Like two of them. So I think the ginger obviously is my ginger and citrus, and then a little bit of sherry was the drink. Is there a name to that, Ellen? I'm looking it up. Is it uh, Sherry Cocktails by Harvey's? I'm looking at the HarveySherry.com. Uh, somebody asked a question on FoodCombo.com. What can I make with orange juice and sherry wine? Um, I see all kinds of drinks here. Any 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 clue as to what the name would be? Well, it was a Spanish restaurant. I don't know if it maybe it's more of a Span. I don't know if they have ginger in Spain. Like I, I tend to associate that more with Asian <laughs> culture. But but yeah, it was creative. I, and and actually, I sidebar. I heard a whole story about AI and how it's being used in Friday's restaurants to help people come up with new drinks. So, I mean, it's all I think about having fun and personalized and experience, like we've been saying. Wow. How do you make it more fun? That's lovely. The fact that you just gave me the ingredients and there was no name to it makes it even more fun because that was an experience you will remember because you knew everything that went into it and it made you happy. So it doesn't have to be what everybody else has. I like that. Ellen, I was so intrigued. When you mentioned customizing the car interior, is that part of what what we've called in past years the make-for-me generation or the, what do they call it, the lot size of one? Is that a possibility at a mid-size, mid-price level, or is that something only available at high end? That's a great question, Bonnie, and I think it's it's an aspiration 
I, I would mm-hmm. imagine. You know, you know, we like vacillate between, you know, black cars for everybody. Um, yep, which is Henry Ford. And, and, and total freedom and creativity and at what cost. And if you can get the cost, you know, management down to a place where it's affordable, I think people wouldn't. But how many people are going to be picking out their own cars in the future, I guess is the bigger question. Back to sharing, which Andreas brought up. Right. How much choice are we going to have in the future? Well, it would be interesting if you got a neighborhood together, let's say eight families that were, let's say four families that were going to share a car and they all put down their likes and dislikes and they put them in a hat and a piece of paper and they pull them out and they go to the, the manufacturer and they say, okay, this is what uh, block number 23 in this particular community, this is what we are ready to buy and this is what we're going to use in the sharing economy. And they all got to design a piece of that car. Wouldn't that be crazy, Alan? Wouldn't that be wild? Yeah, and community-ish. Right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then the other blocks would have their own style. But we digress. Thank you very much. I want to find out what Andreas is drinking today and where he is. Andreas, I know we called you, so give us a general location, please. And what powers you in a glass? Mm, Yes. (laughs) Yes. So I'm actually sitting in uh, Waldorf. This is the SAP headquarter um, in Germany. And uh, it's close. Oh, it's in between Heidelberg. That might be no be known by most Americans, and uh, Mannheim. So it's in the southern part of Germany. It's uh, nice weather outside today. We have already springtime. And I'm sitting here with uh, hibiscus tea and a piece of lemon inside. It's a little bit sour, but uh, it's uh, refreshing very well. Sounds very hot or cold, the drink. Um, I don't think there's a special name for it. I just got this hibiscus uh, tea. And um, but I'm wondering, is it, is, it cold, I, is it cold tea or is it hot tea? Are we talking boiling water or are we talking ice tea. cubes? Yeah, yeah it's, it's cold tea. Okay, that's what I wanted to know. Down here, I'm in North Carolina now, and they have something called sweet tea, which I don't particularly care for. Up in New York, where I live for the past 35 years, they have something called Long Island iced tea, and that will knock you flat <laughs> if you can't handle all the booze mm-hmm. in it. But anyway, today is a doubleheader day for me. I have this live show, and then an hour later, when we're done, I have another show, Startup Focus with Game Changers, so they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on Tuesdays during radio shows. So all I'm drinking mm-hmm. is a glass of cool, clear water, but I will tell you the weather here is, wow, we have a lot of rain, a little bit of wind. I don't know what end of who or beginning of whose storm we got, but my new landscaping is saying, thank you, Lord. It doesn't want a Mercedes-Benz. It just wants rain, so we're hydrating the new landscaping the beautiful garden today and I'm a very happy camper in the rain so there so we are talking about a very interesting topic question mark the end of dealerships in automotive I call that an automotive cliffhanger we're talking about the sharing economy we're talking about the dealer experience we're talking about what happens when you want to buy online and I'm sure we have some experiences and stories with that my very esteemed panelists very smart people are Dr. Hagen Radowski at MHP Americas he's the President and CEO, Ellen Sasson, Automotive Industry Advisor with SAP, and Andreas Klaschka, IBU Director for Automotive at SAP. We're going to take, you know what? 
I just changed my mind. We're not going to take a break because it's almost half past. We don't have time for a break. We have to just keep this party going. So no time for a sip. I just My engineer just said, LOL, here we go. Yep, we're, we've, we're doing this more often on more of our shows because the conversations are just so good and so loud. No, no time for a break. Sorry. Okay, so Dr. Hagen-Radowski, we're going to dive right into the roundtable. I know you're ready. So let's talk about, let's see here. Um, I'm looking at your notes and... You want to talk about automotive OEMs. You sent me the following statement. Automotive OEMs can do things for the customer journey that a single dealer can't. Can we go there? Hagen, you ready for yeah. that one? Yeah, talk to me. And then we'll have Ellen chime in on that topic, and we'll get Andreas's point of view. And then, Ellen, I'll pick a topic from your list. We'll go around the table, and same for Andreas. Let's see how much we can cover. Okay, automotive OEMs can do things for the automotive customer journey that a single dealer can't. Go ahead, Hagen. Well, it's basically, you know, and, and, and I guess that's right in the context of this conversation, what Ellen said before, what Andrea said before, um, with the technology available today, and just think about the connected car, like what, what kind of data the connected car can deliver, what kind of data we collect along the way if we interact with Bonnie, like in a, in a, mm-hmm. in a conversation or via email, we collect all this data to, um, you know, store it in some kind of CRM, customer relationship management system. And right. out of that, we create a very individual customer journey. But in order to do that, we have to deploy technology in a magnitude a single dealer just cannot afford. So we're basically providing the platform to our, our dealers, turning dealers really into smart retailers, by just giving them a natural tools up um, from from where they were in, 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 you know, providing them the right information, providing them talking points um, they didn't have before. Also, um, by bringing in digital signage technology into the dealership. So think about this. I mean, we're, we're doing professional content centrally, um, and that's being displayed through um, screens and other technology at the dealership, and it's enriched, enriched with local content. Um, it's a fraction of the cost for the dealer doing that for himself because we provide for the basic content, and he or she just adds the local content. So there are many ways of how we kind of make sure that that experience where we're talking about um, in, in, in this roundtable so far is being pushed out professionally to the dealerships. And, and that's what, what I mean with that quote. You know, it's, it's the magnitude and not only deploying, but also evaluating the technology. We always ask that questions of relevance because the, the, the technology available today is so mind-blowing. So what do I select? Which is the right technology for me? Well, mm-hmm. um, here is uh, the automotive OEM already giving you some ideas and you just execute on it. So the whole complexity, um, we, we make it easy for the dealers. I guess that's my, that's my first point. My second point is we push you in, into the right direction so you can focus on what's really important, encounters with a customer. Okay, thank you very much. Good starting point here. Ellen Sasson, love to get your thoughts on the statement that Hagen just shared with us. Automotive OEMs can do things for the customer journey that a single dealer can't. Agree or disagree, Ellen? 
I, I do agree. Um, but I, could I ask Hagen a question? Cause sure, my, of course. My, my, my thought, Hagen, is while you were talking, you know, some dealerships may choose to just be an extension of the OEM brand, which is a strategy, right? And then you could be part, like today, Sam um, and Volvo announced they're going to start doing Amazon, handling packages for Amazon with, you know, keyless entry into car. Interesting stuff, right? That that you could, if you were mm-hmm. a dealership, you could become a part of that, right? Because you you wouldn't probably pull that deal off yourself. Maybe you would. So I do see it like two strategies. One, some dealers are going to line up very closely with the OEMs, and others mm-hmm. are going to separate themselves and have their own identity. What do you think? Oh yeah, Ellen. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm watching this too much through through the eyes of of, of Porsche dealers. We have 189 Porsche dealers in the U.S. And basically, they are very much and very closely aligned, even when it comes down to, you know, kind of corporate identity and design of their of their dealerships. But I totally agree. And, you know, Ellen, whatever gets customers into the dealerships is of interest to the automotive dealer. And with many other brands, we and we've seen that even here in Atlanta, and we're talking to dealers here in Atlanta, um, Whatever gets customers into the dealership is of interest and can be used mm-hmm. to create those touch points. So um, it really also depends on the brand. And what I would see for the larger part, I would agree with what you said. For the larger part, it's really kind of um, coming together at the dealership from various perspectives, just making sure we maintain contact with potential customers. Yeah, and in Ellen? some cases, the oh, sorry, just one last comment. No. Like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Some of the dealerships become way more powerful in their own right, right, with a different strategy, especially in the used car market. So it's mm. you, 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 it's all about strategy, right, and how you choose to innovate. Uh, yes, and, and you know, if you think about it, two weeks ago, I, I'm, you, I'm sure you heard about Carvana, so this online car sales platform. And um, and two weeks ago, Carvana bought uh, Car360, a v- VR, AR, um, virtual, uh, virtual uh, reality, augmented reality company based in Atlanta. Why? Because, again, you know, it, it, they want to create and enhance the experience buying online, but they still sometimes rely also on existing infrastructure. So it's always um, a question, what I said before, how do you combine technology that's available to achieve what you want to achieve in business? Absolutely. Very interesting. Um, I want to get Andreas in on this part of the conversation. We have a lot more to cover. So, Andreas, what are your thoughts? Agree or disagree with what Hagen said and or what Ellen added? So I totally agree. Um, the OEM is the only player in that game that can provide the, the technology, the software to get this overall experience along the customer journey um, without any breaks, any any stops, anything. So uh, the OEM is uh, the most dominant one in that part. And um, maybe um, there are brands already in the market, like for example Tesla, um, who cover the digital journey um, by themselves and even do not really need dealers to do the, the full business. Yeah? Um, other brands like Porsche, of course, I, I agree, they 
um, want to also give uh, a good customer experience to their customer at the dealerships. And I have a, a quote prepared for that uh, type of business that uh, Generation Y drivers uh, actually value customer experience three times as much as the vehicle design. This is maybe not <laughs> um, totally true for Porsche, but you see here that the customer experience plays a very important role. So, um, yeah, nevertheless, Andreas, Andreas, customer experience... Real quick, I'm sorry, I've, I'm really jumping in on this one because... Go ahead. You know, I, I have to say, um, so the four CEOs of the four Porsche companies um, got together and we, we basically bought a Tesla... <laughs> just to try out, you know, how much different is the experience with a Tesla. And I had this car for two weeks, and in the morning I walk out, my music starts to play. The door opens without touching a button. I, I sit into the car, the door closes, and I drive off. My Porsche can't do that. So, uh, you know, and I totally, what you just said, I, I, yes, it's, it's really about that convenience and about that experience. And I can see that resonate with the generation Y. Back to you, Andreas. Mm. Okay, thank you, Hagen. So, yeah, um, everything is about customer experience today, and um, the OEM has to deliver it. Um, that means, in the end, in my opinion, the dealerships might switch to a different role. Um, it could be that they are not, no longer, you know, really self um, um, existing companies, but getting to the role of an agent, uh, more or less, where they just uh, negotiate um, and the, the business itself is done by the OEM. So there could be a threat for the dealers, um, but of course the dealers are also able to, um, yeah, to, to fight this threat and bring in own options into the game, meaning um, own business models that may still remain as um, a valuable player in the whole um, um, yeah, game of selling cars. Thank you, Andreas. I want to give a sidebar here. Uh, Shark Tank, apparently, uh, Star Car360 is a startup based in Atlanta. Hagen, you know this. And it was mm -hmm. on Shark Tank, and it was backed by, Mar or it is backed by Mark Cuban. So let me just read the press release on AmericanInno.com, April 17th this year. An Atlanta-based augmented reality startup that gained notoriety on the ABC investor show Shark Tank has been acquired by Carvana, an online order dealer. Car360, previously known as Egos, E-G-O-S Ventures, mm -hmm. develops augmented reality software for the auto industry using photos taken with a mobile device. Fascinating. And apparently it was uh, $22 million. And Carvana acquired Car360 to improve its car buying platform. Fascinating. Do you know anybody there, Hagen? Are you familiar with anybody? Yes, we're talking to them because, uh, again, you know, I bet um, it, it it has an impact of how we present cars as well. And 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 again, we're 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 trying out new technologies, and VR and AR are an important component of of that of that trying out. 
Thank you very much. I want to move on to a topic here in Ellen's list. Ellen, I don't think we've touched the M word yet. It's millennials. Nobody gets scared. And Ellen (laughs) says, millennials, I don't know what letters stand for anymore. Uh, She says, millennials do not care about automotive brands except for the very high-end G-Wagons, Lamborghinis, Maseratis, Teslas, and Karmas featured in hip-hop music and fashion. Dealerships are going to have to find a way to have a brand that attracts local buyers. Ellen, why don't you expand this for us? This is fascinating because we're talking about brand perception. We're talking about advertising. We're talking about promotional uh, opportunities in, in music, as you say, and fashion. And, and that's very big for Christ. So Ellen, give us a little more, please. And, and I apologize for not mentioning Porsche. Um, Hagen. Yes. should have been in there, too. I'll put, I'll put that in my Thank thing you. before I, I tweet. <laughs> I put it in my tweet. Here we go. Okay, go ahead. So, and, and I remember this from 20 years ago, a guy named David Cole, who started the Center for Automotive Research here in Michigan. He said cars are like fashion. And at the time, I, I thought that was just so um, brilliant. You know, and it's, it's true. And fashion is part of hip-hop. It's part of Instagram. It's part of you know, this whole younger way, and I have two sons, one nineteen, one seventeen, and my 19-year-old is very much caught up in that world of fashion and hip-hop and Instagram, and the picture that you take, you know, with like a G-Wagon behind you, that means something to him, and, and to post that on Instagram. So what, what, when I wrote that down, I was thinking of, you know, he has more of a utility-based car. He doesn't drive a G-Wagon or a Porsche or a Tesla, but so so there is a functional need that younger people have to get from point A to point B, and maybe that's Uber. And in in many cities, it's actually owning a car and driving it or leasing it. And in that way, you know, they have to have something. I don't know that that just in... It doesn't have the celebrity status, right, to be driving a Jeep, even though it's such a great car. And, And I think millennials, depending on where they live and what moves them, and especially maybe it's more that urban millennial, He's just gonna, he or she's just going to want to rent the car for the day and drive some fancy car for, mm-hmm. you know, to show off for that day, as opposed to living with it every day, let's say, out in the upper Midwest, South Dakota lands, if that makes sense. So there's definitely a dichotomy um, for millennials. But, but if you look at Instagram, I think mostly they're posting about high-end cars. Yeah, very um, interesting. Ellen, may I chip in on that real sure. quick? Because uh, talking about startups in Atlanta and talking about technology available, here's another great story. So with Porsche, we started about three months ago something called the Porsche Passport that we, we did together with a startup here from Atlanta called Clutch. We're like on a monthly fee, you have access to the full Porsche portfolio. So it's not a lease program. You can turn it off on, 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 off and on on a monthly basis. But on, on that monthly fee, the Porsche is delivered to your door to drive. Today you feel like driving a 911. Tomorrow you feel like driving a Cayenne or a Macan. No problem. And we predict, by the way, which car you're going to choose next pretty accurately. So, again, it's along those lines, Ellen, you just mentioned. Um, you know, I don't necessarily want to own that car, but it's just fun to brag a little bit, you know, as we saw that car yesterday in, in, in that, in that, in that TV commercial or in that, in that movie, here I am in my, you know, nine eleven four S. So, um, it, it's really happening in the real world. And, and how to add on to that? I mean, mm-hmm. dealers offer that sort of thing, right? And maybe even that yeah. clutch brand that you, it's from the dealer. It's not even an OEM 
um, X. It could be. I've I want to get Andreas in on this, but I did find something here. Clutch Atlanta, if anybody wants to know, C-L-U-T-C-H Atlanta.com. Their homepage, Drive Clutch, is a monthly subscription service that provides an alternative to car ownership or leasing. Clutch Atlanta Mm -hmm. members flip, in quotes, between vehicles as their needs change, all for a simple monthly fee. So anybody's interested, go look at Clutch Atlanta, Clutch with a C. I, yeah. I, I told you I do a lot of lookups during the show. I have to get Andreas's voice in on this. Andreas, what do you, what do you think about these sure. options for image for, versus functionality, image of your car? What do you think? It's still a very important thing. I mean, um, sometimes if you read reports, um, about uh, the status of a car and what it means to the people. They say, oh, in the future, the status of a car is no longer of uh, importance. They say nowadays people want to show off with, your, with their smartphones, with some um, fashion things or something, um, and the car is no longer of importance. I don't think so. Um, I totally agree with Alan that, uh, and also Hagen, of course, that special brands, um, have still a very high attractiveness to to people, and uh, with that one, they also want to show that they have made it or that they are cool or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, there are other cars. Um, I don't want to name any brands now, but they are more or less a commodity that are used to come from a point A to a point B. So we have both, I would say. Yeah, we have these strong communities. Um, believers in their cars um, that actually have a very high brand loyalty as well. And we have people who just buy a car or or lease a car or share a car, whatever, um, but they just need to come from, as I mentioned, from a point A to a point B, and it doesn't mean anything to them. But we have both, I would say, and uh, we have a market for both of them, so both uh, customer um, target groups must be satisfied. Very well, very well put. Ellen, any quick wrap-up on that? I We have a couple of minutes before our predictions, and I want to pick up some notes here from Andreas's list. Ellen, you want to wrap that one up for me? I was just going to say, I'm fascinated by, I believe it's Uber that's starting this, like an air, and I'm sorry for all the the acronyms, but Airbnb for cars, right, where your average consumer to rent out his or her car for a few hours and make some money. Mm-hmm. Like, like all these new models are all these ways that both, I think, will we'll bring the car park, like the existing car world, more into the game as well. So that's my final comment. It's just creative. Super creative. Very interesting. And I yeah. have to add, just for uh, generational commentary here, uh, I'm a boomer. And I still love my my sassy sports cars, and I still love parking them in a lot. And have people say, "Wow, is that yours?" And the answer is, "Heck yes!" When did you get it? What happened to the other? Well, I just upgraded last week. Getting a lot of that. Parked it next to a vintage blue Camaro convertible at a meeting last night in the clubhouse parking lot where I live, and I got a lot of comments through the grapevine. Wow, that was a beautiful car sitting next to the blue Camaro. So I said, "That's mine." So so, and I, I still have people stopping and saying, wow, can I buy your car? I, I drive Zs, a, a different brand that we've talked about, at Nissan Zs for, since 19, the late 1970s. And they're, they're still, they still get a lot. You know, there isn't a man, I have never met a man, uh, this is addressed to Hagen and to Andreas, never met a man socially who hasn't told me 
which Z he owned back in the day, whether it was a 240, a 260, or a 280. Everybody has had a touch point with that brand, with that car, and all of the experience has been good. So they get such a kick out of a woman who's owned five Zs. (laughs) I'm sorry. We we, we can still play. So I want to go to something here from Andreas's notes. Andreas, we have just a few minutes. You say OEMs are going to try to own the customer base by themselves. Uh, The expression data is the new oil fits for the digital in the automotive industry. Is this a threat to dealerships, to the franchises themselves? Andreas, what's your thought? So, yeah, thank you for this uh, um, comment, Bonnie. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say a little bit, because nowadays um, the dealers see the customer base that they own as uh, their major capital uh, in regards to an OEM. So, um, because the database, the customer base is, uh, the one you can make the money with, right? So um, if you know the dealer, uh, the, the, the customers, um, you are able to do marketing campaigns, to do um, yeah, uh, one-to-one marketing, whatever. And uh, once all these uh, data is shifted to an OEM, the dealer has not really the... Uh, the the, the power of the data anymore, and the OEM will do exactly um, the things that the dealer did in the past. And as Hagen said earlier, that the, um, the OEM can do that much better because the OEM has a much better um, system environment, technology, technology environment to do all these uh, um, customer journey things, touch points covering and all that stuff. So um, it's a threat for the dealer on the one hand side, and it's an option for the OEM to make additional money um, with the customer base during uh, ownership or sharing of a car, because whenever somebody uses a car, you can sell digital services, and uh, these digital services can be sold anytime, anywhere, whenever the car is connected. And uh, so this is a uh, um, some power that the uh, um, dealerships will lose, but also with the new business models, the dealers can find new um, ideas and business models to get themselves back in the game, meaning um, we still need uh, a service on the car, and uh, with car sharing, I would say um, it's very important that the car is also clean and um, um, yeah, very well prepared for the next customer so that mm-hmm. dealerships can also go in that business and uh, find new options of making money there. Thank you very much, Andreas. We are at the point in the show called the Crystal Ball Predictions Round. I'm going to give you each 60 seconds, but I have one quick prediction, two predictions on my own. I'll give you one now and one when, when each of you has your turn. And mine is that car dealers who work with online car advertising services like Carfax and don't understand the process and think that an autoresponder with no human follow-up is the way to go will lose business, will lose favor, and will, will damage their reputation because they don't get how this new world of digital digitization, digitalization, and online partnership with the real people experience on the ground. They don't get how that fits together. That's my prediction from recent personal experience, no names. Dr. Hagen Radowski at MHP Americas, I'm giving you 60 seconds. What do you predict is going to change dramatically about car dealerships? Will they be around 2020, 2025? 60 seconds, go. 
the one decisive factor, people. It's still, they still make the difference. Not technology will make the difference. People will make the difference. Let's keep that in mind. As we deploy more and more technology, let's make sure, um, like Andreas said, our employees at the dealership understand what that technology has to offer. And we train them and we enable them to interact with those customers that come into our dealership, replicating and enhancing the experience of an automotive dealership visit. Thank you very much. Ellen Sasson, 60 seconds for you. What do you see in that crystal ball? I, I believe the dealer, and maybe we're not going to have quite as many, but that they're critical to the communities, and they've got to figure out, and, and I hope this is very Pollyannish, but that they, and, and they do already, the OEMs and the dealers, give more back to the city or the local community in a way that, mm-hmm. I don't know, may, maybe helping execute the city's business of trash removal. I, I don't know what it is, but that they're... They're an active player in, in their, you know, as budgets keep getting cut at the public sector, these mm-hmm. dealers maybe pick up different business operations for the cities. Hmm. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Okay. And Andreas Kloschka, I have 60 seconds for you. Go ahead. Yo, thank you. So, um, I mean, a lot of things has been already said, but one thing I would like definitely to add is uh, the fact that I think we need to differentiate between the brands and the market. Mm-hmm. I think okay. there will be uh, markets in the world where the dealerships will be not of that importance. We see that already nowadays, where, for example, in China, um, Alibaba and Ford have set up a vending machine for cars. So uh, you don't huh. need to go to the dealership. You just go to a vending machine, like you draw your Coke uh, uh, can mm-hmm. or something. You can draw a car there. Um, but, of course, um, the, the high-level brands and uh, other markets like Europe or North America will still rely on dealerships. So um, I would say it's a little bit... Uh, not black or white, but uh, it has to be considered to the, the brand and the market. Thank you very much. Terrific. And I have my last prediction to make for the three of you. I predict that this panel, Dr. Hagen Radowski, Ellen Sasson, and Andreas Klatschka are going to come back and do part two of this fascinating topic. We have so much more to talk about. Going to come on our flagship series called Coffee Break with Game Changers in August. And I predict that I'm going to, in the next two hours, send you a couple of date options with an invitation. And I predict you're all going to accept my invitation. Do you think my prediction will come true, Hagen? Probably very much so. <laughs> I like it probably very much so. Ellen is you're you're being persistent and so friendly and uh, to in- include us in today's show. So very much enjoyed it. Thank you. So well, much. I'm I'm glad. I hope you will, Ellen. I know Ellen will come back. She's already coming back for part two of Women in Automotive. And Andreas, I hope you will join us as well. I'll send you a date for August through September. We book way far ahead. So I want to say thank you to my esteemed panelists. This was a delightful experience and happy to get such insights into what really is happening behind the scenes in the automotive industries. We'll leave the leave the title of the show on the table here: Automotive Cliffhanger: The End of Automotive Retail Dealerships. 
Not sure. It may be in the balance mm-hmm. here. You're going to have to tune in in a couple months and find out where my panelists think what progress has or has not been made in the intervening months. So thank you to Dr. Hagen Radowski. Thank you to Ellen Sasson. Thank you to Andreas Klotschka. Thank you to uh, Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio, the business channel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I will be back in one hour with a new version, a new live show on Startup Focus with Game Changers talking about citizens and government accountability, governance. going to be very interesting. We have Colleen Hardwick from PlaySpeak, Play and we have uh, an Israeli lady, Michelle Spector, from IP Gallery as two of our special guests. So you want to tune in right here on the Business Channel. Have a great day. Dedicated, of course, this show to RIP, our good friend Larry Stoli at SAP. Larry left us way too soon. He drove off into the sunset in one of his muscle cars, and we miss him dearly. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Whatever you're driving, Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.